What's up? It's ATLNs United, episode 40. I'm Blake the Marshman. I'm A-T-L, huh? Hit it. Look, if you had one shot, one opportunity to capture and make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, would you capture it? Atlanta, you just let it slip. Yo. Mickey's arms are heavy. Tata's got vomit on his sweater wrapped around himself already. He's nervous. On the surface, I don't have any more rhymes. Blake, Blake, we gotta cut this. We gotta introduce a show. We got a show to do, man. Sorry, man. It's the 16th anniversary of 8 Mile. I just, I just yeah. wanted, I just was pumped up. Yeah, but we're number 17. Oh, man. Thank you for bearing through that intro, our ATLians family. I promise it sounded better the first time. I, I was like practicing in the bathroom, and I, I sounded just like Eminem. You're getting close. You keep working on those chops, and we'll release an album soon. It was supposed to be how like Tata. He was so nervous that he forgot the starting lineup, and and the whole crowd goes so loud. And I was gonna throw in the whole bends goes so loud, and. Time's up. All right, we're going to cut you off there. God, man. AT Aliens, hey, if you like us, give us a five-star rating. Go to iTunes or whatever podcast app you're listening to. It really helps us out. Five stars for the five stripes. Yeah, even review us. Tell us how dumb we sound or how great we sound or just give us some good general feedback. You know, we always appreciate the feedback. Plug over. And Blake, we got a lot of stuff going on in Atlanta, but the most important thing is we got a home game, home playoff game coming to the bins on Sunday. It's leg two, man. It's going to be huge. It's, it's so huge. The Falcons playing earlier that day. We can tailgate while watching the Falcons, get rowdy and proud, and then just let all of New York know who Atlanta United really is. It's, it's going to be an incredible, incredible game. And we got tons of Atlanta news, as always, to bring you guys. But 5.30 p.m., Rumors that the roof is going to be open, a sold-out Mercedes-Benz, a chance at the Eastern Conference Finals berth. We're up one nothing in this tie. It doesn't get any better than this, Joe. And top it off, it's Veterans Day. So I'm sure we're going to have a lot of appreciation for our, for our military out there as well. So it's just a great, it's a holiday. It's an Atlanta United holiday. It's a great day. And I'm excited, man. I couldn't be more excited for this Sunday. It's lining up to be spectacular. What else do we got going on in Atlanta, Joe? Uh, we got ATL is burning ball. What? It's a half dance party, half ball. You know, there's not much going on outside of the Atlanta United game. Yeah, it looks like it's put on by Red Bull. Looks like tickets are only like 10 or 15 bucks. Doors open at 8. This is Friday night. Georgia Freight Depot. Do you know where the freight depot even is? I've never been to the Georgia Freight Depot. No. Well, we have a lot of freight. We're a train city. Freight coming in, freight coming out. Speaking of freight, let's just go into the most important news. My chili 
Chomp and Stomp. If you guys listened last week. Yeah, Blake. Cabbage Town, great little festival, bluegrass and chili competition, and a blind taste test by some ex- esteemed executive chefs across Atlanta. My chili placed uh, 25th out of 97 teams. Yeah, you're in the 73rd percentile, Blake, that, of Atlanta chili. Our goal was top third. So thank you to everyone that came out and supported Flavortown Chili. It was uh, it was a fun, fun day. I I just would say you gotta you gotta pace yourself when you're in the chili competition. I didn't do the best job of it. Next year we're going for we're going for top ten. That's that's our that's our goal. And uh, we might bring in our producer. She makes a fantastic hot sauce. We might we might bring that in next year. Yeah. Well. A fantastic hot sauce is going to pair very well with whatever you eat in the Gulch on Sunday, which is the real important deal. And the weather's looking pretty nice out there. There's not a not a big chance of rain, and it's going to be sunny, but a little chilly. A great time to tailgate. I know a lot of people are going to bring their own homemade chili, maybe some leftover from Chomp and Stomp, which I don't think there was any leftover. Usually all of that's gone within an hour. Yeah, it was gone. Our chili ran out in like an hour and 15 minutes, and we lasted a lot longer than most of the chili competitors. Yeah, there's little whispers, though, of the roof being open in Mercedes-Benz, and I know many of you fans are like me and just really hoping that that's true. I would love to see a playoff game with the roof open at night, it, it just be make for a wonderful atmosphere. The other news is there's a lot of speculation as to who's going to hammer in the golden spike. And you remember last year we had Archie singing his We Ready chant and on the stage during the playoff game and got everybody so hyped up. What if we had someone like Ludacris come out this year? Luda, my pick, I think, I think we should throw it way, way back. I'd like to see T.I., That'd be so dope. I would like to see T.I. And maybe not necessarily hammering in the Golden Spike, but he could do like the the rap stage and we can do a double uh, double celebrity do it exposition where someone hammering the Golden Spike could be a possible Atlanta Brave. Ender Inciarte made his way onto the Atlanta United website this week and the Braves are in their offseason. There's plenty of chances to get either Inciarte or Acuna or Freddie Freeman to come hammer in the Spike Maybe yeah. bring their support. That would help the fans go crazy. Maybe bring CeeLo back for the national anthem. Let's just bring in all the celebrities, get everyone really hyped before the game. I'd like to see the roof open. Apparently, they can open it in eight minutes now. I'd like to see it open as the whole pregame ceremony is going on. I think that'd be pretty epic. Uh, speaking of speaking of the stadium, I think this is something... We've been talking about the national anthem. I just want to hit on this really briefly. If you guys have ever been in Mercedes-Benz and we're singing the national anthem... And you get to the line where it says "night" in our in our national anthem. You'll notice the entire supporters section shouts "night, nights," and a lot of people are wondering why. Well, it goes all the way back. It's a cool story that most people don't know. This comes back to one of Atlanta's oldest professional teams, at least since I've been alive. The Atlanta Knights. They were a minor league professional ice hockey team in the International Hockey League from 1992 to 1996. They ended up moving to Quebec in '96, but. Everyone shouted night at that point in the national anthem. So a little, little Atlanta history for you. I, I digress. Like I said, Veterans Day, 5.30 p.m. kickoff in the bins. Maybe maybe we could bring in maybe we could bring in Andre 3000. We didn't even think about that. Andre 3K or Big Boy. Oh, man. How about a, a reunion of Outkast and Andre and Big Boy get up there on the stage We're together. probably asking for too much. 
Probably asking for too much. Not for Atlanta. Man, I am so excited. I hope you guys are too. We're up one nothing going into the second leg, and we have uh, we have that crucial away goal I mentioned last week. And man, it's gonna be an electric atmosphere all day. We got NFL football followed by a night home playoff game. What more could you ask for, Joe? Well, Blake, this is all such good news to me. Uh, do I even dare to bring it down a bit? Can you tell me who's hurting? Injury report. Injury. Injury. Injury report. I'm hurting a little bit, not going to lie. I had chili competition, and then I totally botched my take on Lose Yourself to open the show. Don't be so hard on yourself, Blake. That was a, that wasn't a bad take, and it I was just, freestyle. I just expect a lot of myself. I try to come prepared every week to bring the heat. For it was it was music to my ears. All of our ATLians, and uh, I'm very talented musically. We got a couple of people that don't matter at all that are injured, and we we're not even going to talk about them. But their their last names are Zizzo, Ambrose, and Vasquez. Uh, Andrew Carlton is not going to be playing. He is actually up for USL player of the year because he played with Atlanta United 2 which is a division of Atlanta United they we're not going to talk about where they play they also kind of play on a baseball field like New York City but he had a great year in the USL he got some good appearances at the MLS level again a guy to watch out for he's one of our own Andrew Carlton but he's not going to be playing this game Chris McCann nada I like you, McCann. You've had some solid performances for us at center back when we were playing a back three. This guy, now that we're back to a back four, he's not a left back. We got Garza healthy, and we have a lot of options at left back because you know you know who it is. It's can you can you give us a rendition of one of the songs, Joe, that we got at left back now? I mean, you say goodbye, I say Bello. Yeah, we we still got Bello in case Garza goes down again. Yeah, and Chris McCann will be out for three weeks, so he's out for the playoffs at this time. And if we advance further, he might be available on the bench. But that brings up a good point because Greg Garza is finally back. He played right before the playoffs, and he played a full game. And what an addition he was to our team. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Garza in the recap, but Garza just made such an impact and played the entire game this past it it was it was wonderful yeah and I think I think something to hit about Garza you know Miggy comes back from injury Tito comes back from injury Garza comes back from injury Miggy and Tito were dealing with leg injuries Garza I'm not surprised he's hit the ground running so well no pun intended pun definitely intended pun intended because he hurt his shoulder I mean he's he should have stayed in shape lower body I mean, I know you can't necessarily do the full running motion, moving your shoulders back and forth, but he should have been able to stay in pretty good shape, lifting weights, doing whatever he needs to be fit, at least from a lower body perspective, which the majority of soccer is played with your lower body. So I, I expect Garza to hit the ground running, pun still intended, and I'm, I'm, I'm honestly still even expecting him to do that. I've been blown away by how well he's transitioned back into the team since we lost McCann to that quad strain. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about something that's not an injury, but I think it should be included in the injury report. All Atlanta United fans going into this game Sunday night should be aware of this. Because of MLS rules, which, off the record, I think is total, total, you know what? Trash Lando. It's a bunch of trash. It's a bunch of Orlando. Two yellow cards means you're suspended for the next round of games. 
And we had three players pick up a yellow card in game one. That was Joseph, Remedy, our goal scorer, and Tito Vijalba. That would be a disaster if all three of those guys pick up a yellow card in the second game and we win because that would mean we go into game one in the Eastern Conference Finals without three crucial players. And Joseph's yellow card was such a bogus little call. Yeah, it was a little petty, throwing the ball away. Like he, little bit of his attitude got the best of him, and the ref punished him for that. But then you look at the whole scope of the game and how aggressive and how many no calls there were in the game, and you go back to that one yellow card they gave Joseph, it was almost like, how could you, ref? That was that was ridiculous. Oh, there's a lot of questionable stuff we'll get to later. But that's what I was going to get at in terms of the injury suspension report. Let's recap this first leg up at the baseball stadium in New York. And what a night it was. I still haven't haven't slept well since it. It's it just my heart was fluttering all over the place, and we came out of that awful, awful, what they want to call a soccer field, and it's not of a stadium yeah. with a victory. You and me both. I still haven't slept well. I don't think I'm going to sleep well until the playoffs are over, which hopefully is a very long time from now. December eighth. Yeah, I've been waking up with just night terrors every single night just like i'm panicking i think of toronto and us and supporter shield was in our grasp and then i think of tata leaving and then i think of how we have a chance to send him out on a high and i just wake up in the middle of the night sweating and anyways joe yeah but we go into this and we needed a win away and most importantly all we were really looking for was an away goal and we got our away goal by a guy who scored so many goals in his career eric remedy so many goals, we just don't remember any of them. This you know, was his very first goal for Atlanta United. Yeah, when you do something so much, sometimes you just forget that it's even happening. In this case, Remetti, he gave a, it wasn't a great shot. He kind of, what would you call that? He wedged it in off the post. It's kind of like a wedge. Like he didn't really strike it into the goal. He just kind of like pushed it off the bar or the post and he like walked it in. He ran up to the ball off a wonderful, wonderful volley by Joseph Martinez. We could got to talk about that for just a second. A corner coming in, fantastic ball in volley. the air, and Joseph just puts a leg through the ball, and then a, an amazing save by Sean Johnson, mm-hmm. and the ball is just trickling on the goal line, and and there's three players there running after the ball, and Sean Johnson's scrambling to get to his legs, and Rometty gets to it and kind of walks it off the post. Is like. There's no way you can miss from there, and he almost missed, <laughs> but it actually went. And Sean Johnson lunged for the ball, but his lunge fell just slightly short, and he just kind of watched the ball go into the goal. You know what that goal reminded me of, Joe? It reminded me of when you are playing golf, and you have like a gimme putt, and you know it's a gimme, so you're tempted to just pick up the ball. Like, it's a gimme. Now I'll just pick it up. You know, I'm playing with friends. We're having a couple drinks on the course. Like, I'll just pick up the ball. But then you're like, actually, no, you know, I'll put it. I'll put it. Or you got that one jerk friend that really counts every score, and he's like, no, you got to put that. He's like, you got to put that. You got to put that. And he's like, but it's like right here. Like, it should just count. And then you go up to it, and and you kind of wobble, and you, you start to get the yips, and you, you take a little tiny backstroke, and then you hit it, and the ball loops all the way around the rim. Kind of kind of almost rolls out, and then just drops in the hole. And you're like, yeah, that was a gimme. Or you, got, or you take that putt and you kind of 
to touch it. So you, you put it twice, tap it twice. Oh, it still down. goes in, and you're like, I'm counting it. I'm counting it. It still counts. That's a gimme. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was the flashiest of goals, but that was a flashy goal celebration. Did you see that little shimmy shake? Yeah, I, I, I want to see more goals from Rometty just to see how many dances he has in his repertoire. I think the shimmy, he could definitely just expand on the shimmy. He could do a little shimmy, and then maybe he could like flop down on his belly and kind of take it into the worm. You know what I mean? And that'll go viral. That would that would probably go viral. If I saw Eric Rometty doing the worm, I think I could die a happy man. Let's talk about a goal that didn't count. Before all this happened, Miguel Almiron, back from injury, played the first half for us, played great, dictated the tempo. I thought he was exactly what we needed in the first half. They never let NYCFC get a shot off in the first half. It was fantastic pressure from the front. We defended by attacking. Almiron leading the charge, kind of like what we talked about last week. We really needed him back. We really missed him up at Toronto. And he comes in, makes an impact. Off of a short corner, he he hits a shot that's very weird. It just Speaking of golf, it was like me off the tee. It's like... Didn't hit it in the air, but it went down the fairway. He bounces it, and it bounces all the way over the goalkeeper's head into the corner. I go crazy. I'm sure you were going crazy. I was going crazy. Atlanta was going crazy. I was actually watching it at Cypress uh, Street, and it was nuts. The atmosphere was nuts. I know bars, pubs all over the city. It was a Sunday night, but who cares? Everyone was going crazy for Atlanta United. And the shot itself was nothing to scream about, but the fact that we scored and it was the opening goal. But then it got taken back, and people were, were wondering, why do we do these short corners in, in, in the end? And short corners, like the, the part of a short corner versus a direct corner where you fl- throw it into the box, is it's a different strategy. And the fact that you want to play it short to make a reaction by the defense, have them step out to you, make the guys in the box kind of move and maybe it opens up a runner. And at this time it opened up someone at the end of the box and it resulted in a goal. But then they called back VAR Blake VAR. And uh, yeah, so obviously, you know, Tata is going crazy. None of our players understand why this goal is getting called back. I'm going to hit on a few things. We've talked a lot about VAR throughout this year. I don't think this is the time to focus on it 100%, Joe. We're in the playoffs. We're in the middle of a playoff run. I think we got a great shot at the MLS Cup this year, especially if Columbus can knock off New York Red Bulls. we got to focus on what's ahead. And I'm going to say this right now. VAR going into next year needs to be looked at, looked at hard. Just like our team, Atlanta United, is going to go through a lot of changes, I think we got to like really address what's going on here. And And... It's got to be some changes. I have two two opinions. One, if anyone watches American football, when they come out of replay to review a call, the ref gives an explanation of why that call was made. And I, and I don't care who he gives that explanation to. I don't care if they mic up MLS refs. I don't care if the ref goes over to the captains. This is a point our producer Britt actually brought up. I don't care if he goes over to the captains and tells the captains the reason the goal was called back. But we've seen it not just in this game, but in a lot of previous MLS games. Our game out at San Jose comes to mind with Chris Wondolowski having no idea why his goal was called back, which resulted in a Joseph Martinez penalty, which then resulted in one of the most dramatic comebacks in Atlanta United history. We have to have an explanation from the referee. He can't just point to the spot, go on with the game, and all the players are sitting there like, 
What the, like, what just happened? What are you talking about? How does that not count? No explanation, just points to the spot, says free kick. And the other thing to build on that point that I think there has to be a change made to VAR is a time frame for when you can call something back. Like, what is this coming to? Are they going to get to the point where there's a goal in the second half and then they go to VAR and they find that someone was offsides in the first half, so they call the second half goal back? Like, what extent does VAR cover? Because we're getting these longer and longer time frames between the actual play where play should have been stopped, even if it is the correct call, and the result. And the players don't know what's going on. The fans don't know what's going on. The coaches don't know what's going on. And there's no time limit. For all I know, you could call VAR in the 90th minute for a foul in the first minute. I don't even know the parameters on it. Well, Blake, let me let me. That's interject. all I got. That's all I got. They got to change this. They got to put it like 30 seconds or something. It's let gonna, me it's interject with, with you here. Uh, first off, I do think, looking back on it, I, I thought that they made the right call. He was offsides. As as bitter as that makes me feel, I really wanted the goal, but I do think he was offsides. But you ask about the time frame, and the time frame is when the foul occurs and the VAR is checking it on their video booth, they have until the next be- dead ball is played. Whether that be a throw-in, a free kick, a goal kick, a kickoff, until the next dead ball is played. So if it goes out of bounds for a throw-in, it's until he throw. once he throws the ball in, you can't review it anymore. Yeah, but what we're seeing, Joe, is we're seeing players stall on a throw-in, like sitting there with the ball above their head, like staring at the assistant referee or the VAR referee, and they'll just stand there waiting to throw the ball in for five minutes until the ref blows his whistle and is like, okay, I guess we'll look at it. This guy stood with the ball over his head. I just don't like the parameters on it. I think if the call is that obvious on a video replay, they should just blow it dead. They shouldn't waste waste continuing the play. Blow it dead and say, hey, we've reviewed it, and this is the way it's going. I don't think you need to bring in the head ref to look at a screen I think all refs should be equally capable. They rotate positions on the field. One day you're a line judge, one day you're a head ref, one day you're VAR, just like Geiger. He's been a VAR ref. He's going to be our ref for this next game. And he's been, you know, a head ref. Like, they should all be able to make that call. He radios him in. Hey, he was offside. Bloop, offside. No one worries. But the communication levels aren't there. They feel the need to bring the head ref in to go look at the replay when there's already a whole separate VAR ref it's just, it's overkill, man. I'm done yeah, ranting. Blake, I, I don't want to keep arguing oh, this VAR point, so I'm going to move on because I know the next thing I say, you're going to go on for another five minutes. No, I'm done. But, uh, I'm done. I'm good. Going back to our game here, and speaking of VAR, that was a call that wasn't a foul uh, outside of an offsides, but there was multiple back and forth between both teams, fouls that were not called and fouls that were called. And very minimal yellow cards given out, even though there were a handful of cards given out. There were plenty of plays where guys were getting cleated. Guys were getting stepped on with their spikes up. And David Villa jumping in on Greg Garza with his spikes into his ribs. Even on LGP, though, he, at the end of the game, going in for a header. And he pushed a guy down and came up with an elbow up and cleared the ball. Or It, it was back and forth. And kind of my point here, I've been rambling a little bit, is that it was on both sides. If you're an Atlanta United fan, you can take off your your red glasses. If you're a New York City pigeon, you can take off those light blue glasses. And you got to realize that the ref was making the calls poorly or good for both sides. He was very consistent in his calling. 
this game actually had the most fouls of one half in the first half of any MLS game, including the playoffs, ever. Most fouls in history. That's insane. And one point I want to make with the fact that he he held the card in his pocket or no card or gave the card, he did not give either New York or Atlanta a red card and decided a playoff match by knocking a team a man down. Whether they deserve to be or not, off of a stupid Alexander Ring stepping on LGP's ankle with the studs that in a regular season was going to be a red card. He decided to keep the card in his pocket and let them play on the crappy turf. It wasn't turf, just sod of dirt and I don't even know, sand that it was. He let them play. It's a baseball field. And that played into the strategy of the players, and they realized that they let them play. So the game started getting a little chippy and getting a little out of hand. And we had David Villa going up for a bicycle kick, and this could have changed the game. But Joseph Martinez makes a Superman dive, goes head first, sees the foot coming to his face, turns his back, shields himself. The ball, they collide. The ball hits him in the back. New York City ends up scoring on the dead ball play, but the ref had already called the foul. That could have changed the game tenfold. But in the end, I think the ref made the proper call because it was a dangerous play. Yeah, I mean, bicycle kicks are fantastic to watch when you're not being marked closely. But you normally see a bicycle kick when a player is in space. I know you looked this up, Joe, of like what actually constitutes, you know, uh, like reckless play. And, uh, you know, I know it's defined as a, a player that has acted with disregard to the consequences of the opponent and putting them in danger, I think I think the bicycle kick definitely warranted that, and, and it was the right call. I think it was the right call, but it's the and it's the only thing that the pigeons have in their defense as to why this game should have been a different result. But if you go back and look at the de- that pure definition of dangerous and reckless play, that was it. He David Villa went up for the bicycle kick, only caring about himself and not noticing the people around him. And Joseph Martinez, with all his heart and might, saving a goal, jumped in there, had a clear shot at the ball to head it clear. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, soccer is what soccer is. you got to get the ball first. You can't you can't hit the man first. Yeah, and speaking of David Villa went through in that bicycle league, that was, the o- was not the only time that he just clearly avoided everyone around him and, and tried to go for the ball. When Greg Garza earlier had a clear header, was clearing the ball away, David Villa dives in from three feet out with studs up and hits Garza in the ribs as Garza already headed the ball away. That was a clear foul that could have been cautioned. Dude, I, I, I know you said, Blake, I don't want to bring stuff up because you're going to go on another rant, but I'm going to go on another rant because David Villa is a punk, man. This guy's a world-class player, don't get me wrong, and he was a world-class player in his prime. But the dude, the dude has need he got to chill out. Like he is driving me absolutely insane. I think he should have had potentially 3 red cards this game, at least 2. And I'm not just saying that as as my as you said, pigeon or red tinted glasses. This guy got out without a single yellow card. Elbowed one of our players, went in studs up for what to me looks like an automatic red based on my interpretation of the rule. And they even brought on a rules expert on uh, one of the MLS shows. And he was like, yeah, it's between a yellow and a red. No card. I don't get it. David Villa, you're a punk. I'm going to boo you every time you touch the ball 
on Sunday. I'll just let you know that right now because I'm sure you're listening to the podcast as well. And all that being said, with all the no calls, this game had the most fouls in in MLS regular season all year long it's in the crazy. total game. Yeah, as in the most fouls ever in a, in a half. So it, it's a, it was a very difficult game to call, and you know that going to the next game, especially with uh, maybe we got Mark Geiger watch coming up here, it's not going to stand. Dude, speaking but, of watches, um, I think I think we almost forgot a crucial match, uh, as just a crucial point of the game. I mean, it's time for another Joseph Martinez. Yes, it's time once again to talk about our favorite player's hair. And I know this is what you guys have all been waiting for. It's been a long week. You guys are like, wow, it's Friday. We got a game coming up. What are we going to do? We're going to talk about Joseph Martinez's hairstyle. Joe, what the heck did he come out in this playoff game with? And I'm not I'm not hating. This was a totally new Joseph. This wasn't going back to Periwinkle or even Gray Joseph. It was close to the Gray Joseph. Remember we had the Silver Fox earlier in the season, maybe preseason, where he had the it was almost a mohawk style and it was shades of gray and it, we called it the Silver Fox, but this one was just like straight grandpa. Yeah, our producer Britt also dyed her hair. Apparently her and Joseph were texting, and I thought I saw some purple in this. I thought I saw some purple. I don't know about you. You may, maybe had a better HD TV than I was watching on. I was I was watching on multiple TVs, and even between the color differences that you see in a bar on a TV, it, it looked purple on several of the TVs. So I'm not going to say it was a purple hair, but it was it was grayish purple. Maybe it was a primer, and he was just getting it that softer shade, and then Sunday he's going to come out with red and black stripes. He's going to come out with five stripes in his hair. Yeah, and maybe... uh, Wouldn't that be awesome? Joseph Martinez coming out with the five stripes in the hair? That would be sick. Who knows? Joseph, thank you for continuous to entertain every every single week with your hair and with your goals. And you know what, Blake? On that note, I got to do what we do every week. I need a beer. Yeah, like Joe said, every week. And uh, what do we got this week, Joe? We got a a great beer this week in uh, just paying homage to the wonderful tactically sound game and coaching to Tata Martino. We got Cherry Street Brewing Company came out with their beer called Tata Pilsner. I thought this was a joke when you first picked it up, but no, it's called Tata Pilsner. And uh, let's spike one home. A-T-L. And wow. This is great. So this was actually Tata, like Tata's. I believe this is a, a breast cancer awareness beer. It's a great brewery, Cherry Street, Cherry Street Brewing, family-owned and operated in Cumming, Georgia, so pretty much Atlanta. And honestly, I, I like to think that Tata would appreciate this. this. This We don't have that many more games left with Tata. And here we are, Beer of the Week, episode 40 of ATLNs United. We've done 40 beers of the week, and here's a note to you, Tata, and, and to uh, breast cancer survivors and those fighting breast cancer And to give you guys a little, a little bit of, uh, of what this beer tastes like, um, it, it's a good beer, almost more like a lager than a Pilsner. I'd say it's kind of an upgrade from a Miller Lite style. So if you are really big into the domestic style, like Budweiser, Miller Lite, Bud Light, and you want something a little bit better, more crafty, 
you should go for this Tata Pilsner. And it's it's low in alcohol, 4.5%. So one, you can drink all day long, and it goes to a good cause. Um, I know my fiance would really love this beer. Yeah, and also, you know, guys, we don't talk about this stuff a lot on the show. You might think we just talk about beer and hairstyles, but um, obviously there's a lot of great causes out there. This is one of them. You know, cancer awareness is something that that is close to my heart. I'm actually doing the uh, the mustache November Movember. The Movember. Yeah, I got a little stash going on right now. Uh, you know, that's that's for men's cancer and just men's general health awareness. You know, guys, this stuff is important. We all got to fight together. I know a lot of different sports do a lot of stuff involved with it. So if you guys want to get out there and drink some beer to help fight breast cancer, like why not? You know, and support Tata Martino. Moving on. This is a good beer. Let's get ready for Sunday in the Benz. And we're coming home to a packed out stadium. We are going to break another record. If you can't believe it, we are. We're going to pack out this place. 70,000 plus fans going to be so rowdy and proud. The tailgate is just going to be nuts. And hopefully that roof is open coming to to the bins. Yeah, there's a chance we're going to get an early kickoff that would have coincided with the Falcons game, which would not have given us as much tailgate time. But when the times came out for this game, I was so pumped. I mean, it's perfect. You got work the next bit. You got work the next day, but it's like you're gonna get home at still a decent hour, unless you're just out all night celebrating the victory, which I hope we are. But 5:30 kickoff in the bins. Only really bad news is that Mark Geiger has been announced the Mark head ref. Geiger. Oh, we mentioned it a few times earlier, and you guys already know if you're avidly checking all the Atlanta United streams and websites, but Mark Geiger was announced, and as we talked about in our pre- our recap of the last game, how it was such a tough and tight game and so many fouls, you know Geiger's not going to stand for that, and he's going to be a guy that will give a yellow card early just to try to control the game, and if the players don't react to it, He's going to kick someone out. Yeah, I mean, this guy always gives out red cards. He always gives out yellow cards. I think if he was refing the game last Sunday, we would have seen a couple red cards, probably on both sides of the ball. And speaking of last Sunday, one of the things that players and coaches do before a game, they don't only preview and get ready for who they're playing. They also prep players for who's refing the game. And so last Sunday, they probably scouted this ref and said, hey, he barely... They even said it during the match on the feed because I wasn't there live. I watched it. But he gave he's given out the fewest yellow cards in the MLS this season. He let so the boys play. He let them play, but the both coaches knew and the players knew that they let them play. So tactically coming into this game, Tata Martino is going to have his boys prepared that you know that this guy, Mark Geiger, is going to give you a yellow card if he has an opportunity. So he is going to get us to play a cleaner game than we played last week and to really keep it tight. And those guys like Remedy and Tito Vajalba and Joseph, who already have yellows, they really need to know that they have a target on their back and they need to, they need to play the cleanest game that they've played. Yeah, I mean, you know I like quotes when I come up with quotes and when I also get quotes from players. Larry came up. He said this about just kind of the situation with yellow cards, Geiger. He said, you have to be careful. I think you don't want to do anything stupid like throwing the ball away, yelling at the ref, or getting a yellow not during the run of play. But you can't give up the aggressive nature that you're playing the game with. You have to leave it to the referee. If you're on a yellow, you have to be careful 
Four games is difficult to not pick up two yellow cards, but you really can't change your game. And I think that's I think we can't change our game, but I don't think we can get any stupid yellow cards, especially from the players we talked about, Joseph, Remedy, and Tito. Don't be stupid. If Remedy makes a game-saving tackle and he picks up a yellow card because he goes in a little bit late and, and we end up winning the game, like that's a yellow card that's worth it in my opinion, Joe. Yes. But if he just gets a stupid yellow card for like kicking the ball because he's frustrated and he misses the next game, like that's what we got to avoid this game. And that's uh, more talking to Joseph Martinez is the guy that's going to kick the ball being <laughs> That's frustrated. true. That's the guy with the attitude. <laughs> but in, but you're right. You're spot on. And he, hair. And Lorenowitz is spot on. So coming into this game, we did what we had to do in New York. We got the one nothing. We got an away goal, and we got the win. It's very good. Huge. It would have been it would have been even better if we were able to put in another goal or two. It, it, we could have been a cakewalk at this point. But we got what we got, and now we got to come out with a tactical plan. And so what does New York City have to do when they're coming in with the mindset of now they're down one nothing, Blake? They gotta score two goals. And if we score if we score a goal, then they gotta they gotta that's that's still good enough for them. I mean they they're gonna have to score at least two goals to get through. And a, a two to one New York City victory would push them through. Even though we'd be tied on aggregate, we talked about it last week. That would put them with more away goals. Yep. So they need a two nothing or a two to one win. So, so they're going to become out guns blazing. So actually, it, any New York City win with scoring two or more goals and New York City wins puts them through automatically. Yeah. If they win one nothing. It'll go to extra time, and then if it's still tied, zero. if extra time goes goalless, it'll go to penalties. Atlanta scores an extra time, we advance off of a tiebreaker. If New York scores an extra time, they advance. And breaking it down a little further, you're looking back. When has Atlanta United been shut out in the bins? It's been a long time. I looked it back. I looked it up. It happened twice this season. One time I'm not going to count because it was U.S. Open Cup. We threw out a half-scrap lineup, so I'm throwing that out. The other time, we played Sporting Kansas City, and that was a game we lost 2-0. We had a red card given out by yours truly, Mark Geiger. Geiger. And that was the only other time Atlanta United's ever been shut out in the bins. Because Geiger gave a red card to Brad Guzan, who you know good and well if Geiger wasn't refing the game, Guzan would have made a clean tackle, and we would have saved the game. We would have won 5 nothing. Yeah. I digress. Yeah. Let's uh, let's break this down a little further. I have I have some more to say about how we go about this tactically, especially with this one nothing lead. But let's break it down. We're drinking Tata Pilsner. It's time for Tata's Tactics. All right, so what I was going to say, and going into the mind of Tata, drinking Tata Pilsner, I feel like I'm really channeling his energy right now. We have to tell our team, if I'm Tata in the locker room before this game, okay, we won one nothing. We got our away goal. That changes nothing. We go out to win this game. We go out to win. We don't think about that goal. We got spotted a goal. We're starting with a little bit of a head start. But we're not going to sit back and let New York come at us for 90 minutes. We have to go. We have to stay on the front foot. Maybe absorb a little pressure and hit him on a quick counterattack, especially if Tito starts and he's healthy and Miggy starts and he's healthy. 
our speed down those wings. But I think, personally, we have to approach it as if it's 0-0 and we're going for the win. I think you're totally right there. Um, I think this game could very well be decided in the first 30 minutes of the match. You know, what happens if New York comes out in the first 10 minutes and scores a goal? It's game on. Level playing field. We're all tied up, and it's game on. Except maybe they have the advantage at that point because one more goal and they got the tiebreaker. So also flip that on its on its heels, and what happens if Atlanta United goes out first 10 minutes and gets a goal? Then it doesn't change much, and that's what's hard because New York needs two goals no matter what. And and in I my think, opinion, I think that's dangerous. If we go out and get, we get up one nothing, we're gonna be like, oh, we're up two nothing. They get a, they get two goals. I've seen it happen before. Two nothing lead in soccer is a very dangerous lead. I'd like to see us go out to score two, just like New York is going out to score two. I think that's the approach we gotta have. We need two goals, and we should get through. Yeah, and I, I agree. So with Atlanta going out with the first ten minutes scoring a goal, and they need to keep the pressure on. But it's those first 30 minutes, and Atlanta's actually been a team, those first 15 minutes a lot of times are chaotic and hectic. At times we've seen them come out and score first, but a lot of times we see them come out and start very slow, and you don't want New York to get right back in this game right at the beginning. So that that's just one thing to think about. And another thing Tata's got to be really thinking is, what did we do well in New York? And I think the compact field in New York really helped us play a good, solid defensive game where we put out our four-man back line and we put two center defensive midfields just shielding them right in the middle of the field on that narrow pitch. I think it was very much a tactically well-played game on a narrow pitch because we compacted the midfield, especially defensively, and that's what allowed New York City to not get off a single shot during the whole game. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you look at this game and the way we played, I don't think we can play the same game just because of the pitch size. I'm not saying we have double the size to play in, but I think this caters to our style a little bit more. I know that they tied us the last time we played New York City in the bins. That was a fantastic goal. I believe it was Ring that knocked it in. Am I yes, right? It was Alexander Ring. Yeah, uh, Alexander Ring. And he, he hit a fantastic strike. I remember I was devastated after that game that we walked away with a draw. But besides that, if we can control Via around the box, I feel like wide open spaces and a free-roaming pitch favors our players more than it favors their players. Would you agree with me there, Joe? So I think we got to play as wide open and as wide, when I say wide open, in terms of width as possible. Garza, Escobar overlapping. You know, we got to get players way out wide, the fullbacks overlapping, and attack them that way. I do agree with you. I got uh, a couple of points, though. You said we got to protect Villa around the box, but one guy I think we really need to watch out for, and we did a heck of a job against in New York, is Maxi Morales. Yeah. He has been their ringleader, a guy that's really dictated how they play this season. And we did a, a really great job at keeping him just kind of pigeon-toed, <laughs> pun intended, on in the left wing side instead of make, letting him get free in the center of the field and dictating the game. So if we can, again, like you said earlier, spread him out wide and be able to play wide ball and keep Maxi Morales contained, keep David Villa contained as well. I think we can control the game like we did in New York, but a little bit different tactically. I think the Pigeons are going to come at us with all they got. And they got nothing to lose here. 
obviously they have a world-class player and and David Villa. I mean, we cannot underestimate no matter how much of a punk he is, no matter how much I would punch the guy in the face if I was given the opportunity with no remorse whatsoever. No remorse. I would I would gladly get put in a holding cell in Mercedes-Benz for punching David Villa in the face, but I'm not I'm not going to go down that path. I'm really not. So, Blake, anyways, going back to tactically, we know that that was he, tactical. That if, was your tactic. If I run on the field and punch David V in the face, that would be tactical for me. I mean, yeah, I'd, and it I'd get be, thrown out of the game. It might be the second consecutive home playoff game that you wind up in the cellar of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That that might also be But you be know, true. I would be right there with you because it, I wouldn't let you go alone. Yeah. And this time our roles would be reversed where you were the the antagonist and I was just having your back. So I guess it's time we tell this story and we weren't planning on doing this, but We'll just leave it at this, and we'll get to the full story in a later episode. But last playoff game where we were eliminated by Columbus Crew way back over 12 months ago, Joe and I finished the game once the game was over. Below Mercedes-Benz, deep in the depths. We've hinted at it before in a holding cell. We're not going to get into deal- details quite yet. I mean, Basically, we'll get there. I-, I had my Brad Guzan flag, and I was waving it extremely passionately during penalty kicks, and the security guard didn't like me waving the flag, and he decided to arrest me for it, and then you told the cop, cop to say something that I'm not going to say over the radio. And play, I got to stop. I'm, I'm done. Yeah, we'll get into more details later. But Joe and I just, that's, that's how we ended up in this studio deep down below in the depths of Mercedes-Benz is because... Unlike most Atlanta United fans, we've actually been deep down in the depths. And, uh, yeah. But you know what, guys? It's playoff game. We're back in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Atlanta United already proven that they can win a playoff game. It's time to get pumped. It's time to get rowdy. You guys go drink some beers. Atlanta brewed beers, especially. Bring your flags. Bring your flags. Bring your drums. Bring your singing song voices. I want to hear us sing louder, sing prouder than the rest of the world. And let's go get a win this Sunday and go to the Eastern Conference Championship. One shot, one opportunity. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys in the bins. A-T-L Joe